A lot of you have been asking me for insomnia treatment options, so I want to let you know I have launched an insomnia treatment course. It's a very structured and effective treatment program with a lot of clinical evidence support. So one course is in Chinese and one is in English. You can find it at deepintosleep.co forward slash insomnia. Hey, welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. I'm your host Ishan. Happy Lunar New Year to you, my dear listener. As human being, we possibly all experience some kind of emotional up and downs. And if we are depressed, we are overwhelmed, and we feel stressed out, very likely we are not sleeping well. If this happens, the question is: Should we go to treat the mood problem? Or we can do something about our sleep separately. We will find more from our guest today, Dr. Jennifer Goldschmidt. So, Dr. Goldschmidt is assistant professor of psychiatry at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. She has done a lot of research on the relationship between sleep and emotion regulation. Hi, Dr. Goldschmidt. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm very happy to have you. I know we are connecting cross country right now. I'm in California. You are in University of Pennsylvania, right? That's right, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Wow, is that cold there? It's it's actually not so bad today. It was around 40 degrees, so I can't complain. It gets very cold here sometimes,、uh, so I'm just loving the sunshine. Great, yeah. So、um, I know you are actually an expert in the field, doing a lot of research between sleep and mood regulation, especially focusing on depression. Is that right? That's absolutely right. Yep. My focus is mainly on sleep and major depressive disorder,、um, but mood more broadly as well. Yeah, so that's very interesting field. I know a lot of our audience have a lot of questions about that. I know. Uh, for me, I see people sometimes if they are not sleeping well, they feel either more irritable during the daytime,、uh, or they are sad. I actually met several people. They said their life is really good in general, nothing to complain. For whatever reason, they start experiencing insomnia. But after a a term <clears throat> a period of time, they cannot sleep well. Then. They start feeling really upset. Even some of them have suicidal thoughts. Is that common? That what sleep can do to you? Absolutely. I think there's a very intimate relationship between sleep and mood.、Um, and for those people who experience disturbances in their sleep, one of the first things that we'll notice,、um, probably before kind of performance decrements, are going to be those those mood problems. Um, and there was some really good research done in the early 2000s that showed that mood changes were actually four times more significantly impacted than than performance.、Um, so we know, and and especially with irritability, when you mention that, I think although we don't have great measures of irritability,、um, it's one of those things that anecdotally I see all the time. People just saying, you know, I snap more easily. I feel like I can't tolerate the small frustrations in life.、Um, and again, we we actually don't. 
quite know what the mechanism is, why the that we see these problems with emotion regulation and, and frustration tolerance and irritability um, when we get a loss of sleep. But that's really what my research program is set out to, to figure out. Yeah, yeah. That's so interesting to know because I think a lot of people really focus on how sleep impact my performance. Not a lot of people realize, oh, it actually shift my mood quite a lot. Absolutely. I mean, we know from decades of research that your reaction time is going to be changed when you're sleep deprived and your your memory is going to have some, some difficulties and you have difficulties with concentration. Um, but now, in, I would say in the last 10 to 15 years, we've really started focusing on what those mood changes are. So we're characterizing them a little bit better than we did before. So we know a little bit more about what to expect when we have sleep disturbance or, or sleep, um, sleep loss and mood. But the problem is we just don't know why. And so without the why, we can't really create great interventions aside from just getting more sleep. Right. So what do we know, uh, what do we know already? Like what we expect if we have insomnia versus sleep deprivation uh, or any other type of sleep um, interruptions, is there like the mood change going to be the same or look quite different? Yeah. So that's a great question. And I think that's one of the difficulties that we've had reconciling all of the research so far, because there have been so many different studies looking at so many different methods of sleep loss. Um, and so, you know, the first studies that looked at sleep's effect on mood were all classic sleep deprivation studies. So, you know, 24 hours of zero sleep. Um, and then we started recognizing that that doesn't actually happen that much in, you know, our normal day-to-day -day lives. And so then some of the, the um, sleep deprivation researchers started focusing more on sleep restriction. So this idea that a lot of us get something like four to five hours of sleep during the week, and then we'd have this catch-up sleep on the weekends. Um, so this, the research started shifting more towards that. But then, like you mentioned, there's the insomnia research. And insomnia, uh, in addition to other sleep disorders, um, they look very different because what you might see there is sleep fragmentation. So this idea that we have several wake-ups in the middle of the night, um, and that, again, looks very different from all of these other kinds of sleep loss. And so uh, what I, I hate to say, because I think it doesn't, you know, come up with a really nice theory on how sleep affects mood, is that all of the results have been varied. Um, so in some cases, we'll see, um, you know, a, a decrease in positive mood. Others will see increases in negative mood. More so others will see kind of an increase in impulsivity or, you know, risk-taking um, that can be related to mood-related changes like irritability or, um, or just, you know, trying to, having a loss of, um, ability to kind of withstand the kind of the bad things. Um, so I think it's it's really difficult to say that we can predict the kind of mood changes that we see just because I, there hasn't been enough research done in one single area where we've just been seeing lots of different protocols and paradigms to look at sleep in general. I think what we need to start focusing on is, is maybe getting a, a meta-analysis of, you know, what what mood changes look like in insomnia specifically 
or what it looks like in sleep restriction or what it looks like in sleep de deprivation. But kind of as I said that, I mean, we can even take insomnia and break it up into several different types also, right? Because then we're going to have insomnia that's difficulties with falling asleep or insomnia having difficulties staying asleep. And I'm sure that those will look different as well. So unfortunately, I can't give you a good answer on that, um, but hopefully the field will kind of come together and be able to provide some better answers in the next several years. Yeah, sounds like uh, developing in progress field. Uh, we will do more and more. Yeah. So what you mentioned remind me, you know, um, often in psychology, we know um, some of the mental disorders, there's symptom of like sleep disturbance. And I heard some people told me when they are seeing doctors, medical doctors in China, uh, they complain about their sleep problem. A lot of doctors will diagnose them with depression or anxiety and say, go treat your mood disorders and then your sleep will get better. Kind of in that approach, what do you think about that? I actually take the complete opposite approach. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, we know that, so first of all, sleep disturbance is a characteristic symptom of almost every single mental disorder there is. Um, so if you're looking at depression, anxiety, uh, bipolar disorder, uh, schizophrenia, you're going to see sleep disturbance listed on all of them. Um, and what I love so much about sleep is that it's so highly changeable um, and it it responds so well to treatment. So insomnia specifically, you know, we have cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia and it's a relatively short treatment and it works. I mean, it, it's it's unbelievable how quickly it works. I mean, it works in, it's, I think the effectiveness rate is 80%. Um, so if you start, eight, there's an 80% chance you're gonna get better and you're gonna get better quickly. The I, I think the average number of sessions that I have before I start seeing real response is something around four. Um, and typically my therapy, when I'm doing like very direct cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, takes about six to eight sessions. So people are better in about two months. Um, and what we see when their sleep gets better is that most of the time we see a significant improvement in other symptoms. So we'll see an improvement in anxiety. We'll see an improvement in depression. Um, and so what I usually say is start with sleep because it's an easy target. Um, and then see what happens. And I, I mean, I'm, I don't think that you're going to get a complete elite, like remission of your depression or your anxiety when you treat sleep, but I do think it's going to get better. And one of the things that we see is that once you give folks that have, you know, had a history of, of insomnia comorbid with, with depression or anxiety, when they are engaged in therapy and they get better, we see a level of confidence that we didn't see before. And they get a sense of, I can do this, therapy works, which then increases the chances that in continuing on with therapy for depression or anxiety will help. Um, and so I always say, give them a couple wins, have them sleeping better, and then target the anxiety and depression because it'll be easier that way. Mm, I see, I see. So treatment of sleep is, can be quick. It can, things could change. That's uh, and that if if sleep gets better, our mood will be positively impacted, and the treatment may uh, people be willing to accept it better. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's good to know. So, um, so for for our sleep, and uh, um, how is that strange? Some people because they cannot sleep well, just because that, and then they start feeling hopeless in life and feel like it's it's nothing too worth living for. They get, get so bothered by just sleep itself, where nothing else wrong with your life. Yeah, I think sleep is one of those things that's so fundamental to our kind of day-to-day activities and performance. Um, And because it has such an intimate relationship with their mood, I think when people feel out of control um, with their, in, in terms of their sleep, sometimes that starts bleeding into the rest of their life. Like if I can't even get my sleep under control. How can I do all of these other things? And it can be very difficult um, to to kind of manage. And and that's where I think allowing them to see kind of how predictable sleep can be um, once they learn some of the major tenets, like um, you know, we sleep is a homeostatic drive, just like hunger, just like thirst. Um, and if you allow it to kind of run its course, you will get tired over time. A lot of people will find that they get very anxious about sleep. And so then they start thinking about it more. They start, you know, planning to sleep. They try to go to bed early. They do all of these things. They get, you know, it's just, there's a lot of pressure put on sleep where I think if people just knew, you know, I will get sleepy as the day goes on. I will get sleepier and sleepier. If I get a bad night of sleep tonight, I will get a better night of sleep tomorrow. And I think that's the difference between folks who will develop insomnia and those who won't. Um, Because we're all going to have a bad night of sleep every now and again. It's the idea of what you do with that information when you do. So is it that you had a bad night of sleep and you really get nervous and anxious about it? And so you take a nap that day, or you try to hit the snooze button a couple of times, or you cancel all your appointments because you you can't function, trying to go to bed earlier. All of these things will kind of keep you in a pattern of chronic insomnia. All of those kind of what we call compensatory mechanisms that you think will make your sleep better actually makes your sleep worse. Whereas if you just know, okay, I had a bad night of sleep, that means I'm gonna be tired today. But actually that's great because when I go to bed the next night, I'm going to be even more tired than I would have been normally, which means my sleep will be better. And it's those people, those people that can say like, it's okay. Like one bad night of sleep happens to all of us that typically don't get into this cycle of, of chronic insomnia. Insomnia in, in that way will self-correct because the sleepier you are, the more you'll sleep later. So um, yeah, I can understand that people do get very, um, get very anxious when sleep is bad. Um, But what I can say to that is, you know, trust in the process, know that it's a homeostatic drive that will eventually come back to you as long as you don't kind of fuss with it too much. Yeah, it sounds like it's all in our head, how we interpret our sleep, our behaviors, what happened around sleep lead to, right, a lot of other things, how we react to it, how we emotionally react to it, Absolutely. And I think there are tons of life circumstances that are going to cause you to have a bad night of sleep. I mean, this year is such a good example of that, right? Right. Um, I think 
insomnia rates have gone through the roof. And that makes sense, right? People are out of work. People are nervous about getting sick. People have sick relatives. We haven't had normal kind of human interaction. That's, you know, very, it's a very human thing to want to be around other people and to be separated so physically from, from folks is very difficult. This has been a really hard year. And so it's not surprising to see these rates of insomnia go up. Um, and even to have kind of this transient difficulties with sleep, I think is very normal. It's again, kind of what we take with that. Is it something that we start to really hyper-focus on and get nervous about? We know that arousal is the complete opposite of relaxation, right? Those are on two separate sides of the coin. And so if you get so worked up and stressed out that you, you know, open your bedroom door and already feel that, that frustration, that arousal, sleep is going to, you're going to be chasing it. <laughs> but the idea is if you can say to yourself, okay, I may or may not have a bad night of sleep and that may or may not lead to a bad day tomorrow. Um, then, you know, sleep will come a little bit more naturally, but it really is kind of the, the story we tell ourselves that will allow us to get a better night of sleep or not. Mm, yeah. So, uh, definitely sounds like how we like, um, really rethink about this whole thing. And there are some anxiety related to sleep associate the environment with this frustration, and uh, make it harder, definitely. And I also heard a lot of people talk about in the morning, they feel extremely more sad somehow uh, if they already have depression or sleep is not very well. I understand nighttime, right? Before you go to bed, you feel anxious, you feel frustrated, but this morning time, morning time blue kind of uh, symptom, what's that about? Do you think it's related to sleep more? Yeah, actually, we know that there's a circadian rhythm to mood where our mood is lower in the morning and it increases as the day goes on. And so what I would say to folks, if they're noticing that kind of morning blues um, and it's so hard when you're feeling badly to get out of bed and get yourself motivated, right? It's nicer to kind of just pull the covers up over your head and try to escape from the day. But what I can say is because, again, this is kind of one of those predictable things that we know, it will get better. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we know can be helpful is getting a really good dose of bright light first thing in the morning. So if you can kind of motivate yourself to get outside, take a walk, um, and the brightest light is not going to come from our devices and from our light bulbs but it's gonna be from natural sunlight. Even if it's cloudy outside, actually, the, the light levels are actually much higher outside than they are inside. So I would encourage everybody to get outside first thing in the morning when, it, when it's light out um, to kind of boost your mood, get that day started, get that little increase in motivation. If you wake up when it is still dark out and you know now that we're into the winter months, that happens more, I would encourage folks to try a light box. Um, they can be really helpful. They're not super expensive anymore, which is great. You can get one on Amazon. Try to look for a light box that has at least a 10,000 lux level um, and, and throw it on first thing in the morning for about 20 minutes. Um, you know, you can do it while you're getting ready in the morning, putting your makeup on, having your first cup of coffee. Um, 
but we, we know that light really changes things um, and can really improve alertness and, and change your mood. So that's kind of the best thing. Try to get up, get motivated. Just know your mood will get better as the day goes on. Great. Yeah, the light box is a good idea. So for light box, for example, winter time, uh, like you said, there's no sunshine in the early morning. And some people I know they get up really early, like uh, they just naturally wake up five or six before the sunlight's up. So the light box, can they put it near their bed? And then even, you know, in the morning, they don't want to get up. They can still turn it on and slowly get up and carry it with them to do other things. Absolutely. And that's the nice thing about some of these new light boxes is that they're small and portable. Um, So you really can, you know, first thing in the morning, kind of flip it on. We usually tell people to keep it on for about 20 minutes. Um, And so if you want to, you know, what I always tell people is when you get up, try to get up. And even if that's not getting your feet on the floor, just try to sit up in your bed because it'll help kind of get get you motivated, get you started um, and kind of reduce the levels of sleepiness that you have. Um, so what I would say is if it's super dark in the morning, um, you know, sit up, put on, put on your light box, hang out for 20 minutes or so, and then get started. Or like you said, you can carry it into the bathroom. You can carry it to the kitchen if you want um, and, and put it right next to you. You know, we want to keep it somewhat close to our to our eyes. Um, so they usually say to keep it, you know, within a, a couple feet. Um, so I would say, you know, use it, put it into your morning routine because I think it really can be helpful. Great suggestion. Yeah, I really like that change your position a little bit also, right? Not think about, oh, I have to jump off my bed. That's the right thing. If I cannot do that, I will just lay down. But there's some middle ground we can try. Absolutely. And I think that's, um, especially for folks that have depression and anxiety, I think, you know, setting these unrealistic goals is, is really unhelpful. So I can tell people, you know, I want you out of bed within five minutes of your alarm going off. And every morning when they're not out of their bed, they're going to feel a tremendous level of guilt. They're going to feel even worse. And that will just contribute to the depression symptoms. Instead, let's give ourselves little wins in the morning, especially. Um, so, you know, I, I tell folks it would be great if we all could get out of bed within 15 minutes and go for a 10 mile run first thing in the morning, right? Like, but let's be realistic. Let's try to, let's try to set these reasonable goals that we can, um, that we can achieve so that we can feel good about ourselves first thing in the morning, right? So if, if all that is, is sitting up in bed and doing something that you like in front of a light box, great. If it's getting up, go starting your cup of coffee and bringing it back to your bed and just sitting there for a couple minutes. Sure. I think the biggest thing is that we don't want people hitting the snooze button. We don't want people accidentally falling back asleep. And that's where some of these little behavioral things are going to come into play. So while I would, I would think it would be awesome if we could all, again, get out of our beds within 15 minutes and, and start our day. I think let's be kind to ourselves this year and, and set easier goals for us, for, for ourselves and, and make them so that they also contribute to getting a good night of sleep. So wake up, you know, turn off that alarm, sit up, turn on the light box, but, but just kind of get your day started in a way that feels good to you. 
Yeah, I love that. Absolutely love that.、Uh, when you mentioned the snooze button, I remember a lot of people actually asked me that question. I'm wondering, what do you think about snooze button? Because people feel like I'm not sleeping well last night, and hitting snooze button multiple times, at least I'm I'm sleeping a little bit. Yeah, and so <laughs> I get this a lot because people usually tell me the sleep that I get first, like in the morning, is better than the sleep I get other times, and. What I say is, oh, that's what it feels like. That's actually not exactly the case, right? So we know a couple things. One, we get more REM sleep later in the night or early in the morning、um, versus our deepest, most recuperative kind of sleep, which we get kind of first thing when we go to sleep. Now, the difference there is that while you may feel like REM sleep is deep sleep, it's not. It's actually very light sleep. It's it's actually physiologically very similar to waking. And so,、um, and, and it's easy to wake people up during that time.、Um, and so, when people wake up from REM, they actually feel much more refreshed than you would after waking up from slow wave sleep or deep sleep, where you wake up feeling really groggy.、Um, and that's just because of the the depth of the sleep. And so, what I would usually say to people with regard to snooze is that when you hit the snooze, and whether it's eight minutes or nine minutes or ten minutes. You're not actually going to fall back asleep very well, and the quality of your sleep is not going to be great. So what you're really doing is just prolonging this light sleep that, although may feel good, actually disturbs the sleep that you'll get for the next night. So it's kind of this short-term benefit for you because it feels good, but in the long term, it's it's actually probably problematic for your sleep. So I I'm a huge snooze. You know, non-advocate.、Um, I think the the best thing to do is try to wake up and know that you'll get good sleep and good deep sleep, good quality sleep the next night,、um, instead of trying to kind of make up for a poor night of sleep with like. You know, eight-minute increments of light sleep. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. Sounds like how we feel we are sleeping a lot of time may not really be an accurate reflection of what's really happening in our sleep. That's absolutely true, and it's really interesting because how people re- like re- regard their sleep is very different. So some people will say. Um, you know, when they wake up and we ask about sleep quality, they'll say, "Oh, you know, I didn't wake up at all last night, so I slept well." Where other people will say, "Well, I woke up and I'm feeling, you know, not super refreshed, so I didn't get a good night of sleep." So it really depends on what metrics people are using to to judge sleep quality.、Um, but when it comes to kind of that early morning stuff,、um, a lot of people will say, like, "If I woke up easily." Um, then I got good sleep, and and that just might not be true, right? Because we could just wake up easier from REM than we would from deeper sleep. So,、um, yeah, I think it's it's really interesting how people view sleep quality.、Um, but what what we say, kind of in the field, is the best way to know about your quality of sleep is how you function in the daytime the next day. So, are you sleepy, right? And and by sleepy, I mean you know. Feeling like you're going to fall asleep in a in in a weird situation, like in a meeting.、Um, do you feel fatigued? And fatigue and sleepiness is different, right? Fatigue is this idea that your body needs sleep, that you're tired physically.、Um, so keep an eye on those things because those are actually the best indicators of how you're sleeping. You might wake up and feel like you didn't get a great night of sleep, 
But if you're doing great the next day, if you're not sleepy, if you're not fatigued, if you're performing well, then maybe it's not something that you need to be super concerned about. Hmm. Yeah. So that's really good to know. Especially you mentioned the the difference between fatigue and sleepiness. But really, um, how to focus on sleep quality over quantity, and focus on how you function, not how you feel when you wake up. That's so important for people to keep in mind. Yeah. You know, everybody gets very hung up on the number of hours of sleep. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's, you know, helpful because, you know, there's different guidelines that come out all the time. And, and the most recent guidelines from the Sleep Research Society and the American Academy of Sleep Medicine is a range, right? It, we say from seven to nine hours is, is what to shoot for. And really that's from decades of research looking at anything less than that. Um, but what I say is that you know, the amount of sleep that you need is really like your shoe size, right? Like it's not one size fits all. Everybody is different. Some people can do wildly well with six hours of sleep. Others, if they get six hours of sleep, they are falling apart. They're yelling at people. They're, you know, beeping their horn in the car. Um, and so it really depends on what you need. You know, uh, most most sleep researchers, researchers will say, um, you know, when you're on vacation, close the blinds, go to sleep, and then just see how many hours it takes you to just wake up naturally. And hopefully this isn't after, you know, years of being sleep deprived because of your work schedule. But that's typically the number of hours that would be helpful for you. And it's going to be different for, for everybody. Um, you know, there's a group of folks that we call naturally short sleepers that only need between five and six hours of sleep naturally. Um, and they also, you know, they seem to have a lot of energy. They don't get sick very often. And so for them, getting six hours is fine. But for somebody who needs nine, getting six hours would not be okay. And you'd see all sorts of mood impairments and performance decrements. Um, and so it's really such a personal thing that that takes time to figure out, um, but is worth it because, again, it, you know, you don't want to be forcing yourself into a box. If if your partner needs nine hours and you don't, that's um, going to create some some issues. Um, so just try to find kind of what that sweet spot is for you personally and then stick to that routine. I really love this shoe size analogy. While you are talking, I'm just keep on imagining, wow, if I'm a shoe size seven, I force myself to wear a size 10. That's going to be very, very weird, right? And uncomfortable. Absolutely. The other way around too. Yep, absolutely. And and that's the difficulty because people usually come to, to you know sleep clinicians and they say, I need to know how many hours of sleep I need to get. And, and we just won't know. We won't know until, you know, we're, we're putting you on a, a sleep schedule and then we can see how you feel. And really, that's what I ask them throughout the, throughout the time that we're working, trying to figure it out is, you know, ask yourself, how do you feel? Are you sleepy during the day? Because that's really the only thing that's going to tell us if you need to get more sleep is if you're sleepy during the day. Yeah, the function, how you feel during the day is most important. Talking about um, how, what people hang up on. And uh, so I feel like not only how long people, the length of the hours of sleep, but also like how much deep sleep people get, how much REM. Um, I know a lot of time in Chinese literature, a lot of people would complain if they, 
uh, feels like they don't get enough deep sleep, if they feel like they have too much dreams, especially if they remember their dreams, those are indicators they think they are not sleeping well. And there are all these methods people are trying to uh, improve their deep sleep. The, the whatever the marketing announcement keep on saying, well, deep sleep is good for you. You want to get more of that, less of RAM. A lot of new technologies like my phone, my new phone, they just, it asks you, what's your goal? How many hours? Like how, how much deep sleep you get? How much RAM sleep? What do you think about all that? Yeah, I mean, I think... Oh, the the number of devices that have come out, you know, it started kind of with the Fitbits and all of those that these activity trackers, these sleep trackers have really um, set into kind of consumerism and everybody's minds that I need to track my sleep all the time. I need to know exactly what's happening. People will come to me all the time with their printouts and they'll say, look at this. And the first thing I, I say is, yikes. Okay, first of all, we're not going to know how good your sleep is um, from your wrist. That's, that is not typically how we can measure sleep. I mean, these monitors are getting a bit better, you know, all the time. But one of the important things to know is that they measure movement. And movement is not the only thing that tells us what kind of sleep we're in, right? And if you consider it, um, you know, you're not moving during deep sleep but you're also not moving during REM. And those are two very different stages that do very different things. Um, and so, you know, while again, those, those trackers are getting a little bit better, I think it's really difficult because people have gotten so consumed with knowing about their sleep and trying to be able to change it. Um, and I think it's a bit dangerous. Um, so I tell people, you know, just like you wouldn't obsess over other health-related things because you know it's not healthy for you, um, try not to obsess so much about sleep. Um, and then when it comes to, you know, trying to target specific stages of sleep, there we also just don't have enough information. So, you know, there are a lot of devices out now that target slow-wave sleep um, that do this slow-wave sleep enhancement. And while I think the technology is super cool, um, I also think that it's a little bit too early for us to know exactly what it does in the long run. Um, and so, you know, a lot of these devices came to market after, after some testing that showed um, that they work, that they enhance slow wave sleep, and that there are some positive benefits. We actually still just don't know what it's going to do to the natural production of slow wave sleep or of REM sleep or anything like that, um, again, in the long term. Um, so I wouldn't be so quick to kind of jump on the device bandwagon, especially those that kind of change our sleep, um, just because we just don't have enough information. One of the things that we kind of, we talked about before is that sleep is a homeostatic drive. It does what it needs to, right? Like typically we're not going to take a pill to increase our appetite so that we um, you know, want to eat more. Um, and we know that those pills that decrease our appetite are not so healthy for us. So I would say the same thing, you know, with these devices, while it's cool to be able to do some of these things, the research is still new. So I, I would tread lightly. Yeah, I like that. So whatever new technology out there, people think you can manipulate your sleep, um, to make it so-called better, just be cautious about that. We exactly. still need to know more. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
Yeah, but I also understand why this device exists, right? Some people, they are really busy. They feel like I want just to be able to sleep four or five hours, but I want to have really high quality of sleep. I want to like be able to super be super energetic. So basically, I, I rely on something to help me rest very limited, but I can work like a robot for a long time. <laughs> That's exactly right. I mean, I, that's probably the question that I get asked the most, how can I sleep less, but still get the same benefits? Um, and what I usually tell people is that sleep is really that important that we really do have to devote a third of our life to it if we want to be healthy and happy. Um, and so I, you know, what I want to tell everybody is kind of stop chasing the dream that we don't need to sleep as much as we do, right? We do. Just try to enjoy it. Try to set aside the seven to nine hours. Um, make your bed a comfortable place. Make your bedroom a place that you want to spend time in um, and, and, and invest in it. So invest in a good night of sleep because then I think it pays dividends. Mm, yeah, kind of like people are chasing different things. I want to work more. I want to have more money. I want to have a better life. And then maybe I can retire, enjoy my <laughs> relaxation. I can sleep more. But in the process, we are sacrificing all this, just chasing those, those material stuff or whatever dream people have. Absolutely. I hear that all the time. I'll sleep when I retire or I'll, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead. And I'm like, no, that's not exactly right. I mean, so we did a napping study uh, when I was in, in graduate school at the University of Michigan, and it got a lot of press. And most of it was coming from, you know, companies and folks that were interested in how can I increase my productivity without, you know, taking away time from work. I want to work, work really long hours, but I still want to be productive. And we know that the number of, as the number of hours increases that you're working, your productivity goes down. That's just something that happens. Um, and so we did this napping study and we showed that napping really can improve our frustration tolerance and our ability to regulate our emotions. And, and, and the press really got a hold of it because the idea was, if these companies are going to be requiring you to work 12 or 14 hours, take a nap in the middle of the day and then you'll be fine. And while I think that napping is an amazing countermeasure to sleepiness and can really help, I don't want us to sacrifice nighttime sleep to be able to just throw in a nap in the middle of your day and keep working. I really do think that we need to sleep eight hours. It's those odd times, maybe you had a bad night of sleep, or maybe you do need to spend one really busy, hectic day at the office that taking a really brief midday nap can help. Um, but I don't think that we should focus on, on short bursts of sleep like napping in the place of normal nighttime sleep. It's just that important. Yeah, so napping can help. It's important to know, but also normal length of night sleep is the most important. Yeah, absolutely. And and what I wanted to say from, from that study is that um, we recruited folks who did not habitually nap. So they weren't regular nappers and they also weren't sleep deprived. So we just recruited 
healthy kind of undergraduate students that were getting a normal amount of nighttime sleep, and then we gave them a nap. So these weren't people who were chronically sleep deprived. These weren't people who took regular naps. We just wanted to see what a nap would do. Um, but again, this wasn't something that we did in the long term. This wasn't a nap every single day. Um, and so we don't know, again, the long-term effects. And, and, and of course, we do know that if you sleep regularly during the daytime, it will eventually affect your nighttime sleep. So I never recommend napping to people who have difficulties with insomnia or sleep disturbance. Um, just for folks who, who are interested in kind of what are the benefits of a the nap, they're there, um, but I just wouldn't recommend, you know, making it a long-term habit. Right, right. So really need to understand our own situation and follow the professional uh, advice. Go to see a sleep specialist and uh, really see how I can, like, you know, manage, adjust my sleep uh, schedule and sleep habit accordingly. Absolutely. And, and just like I said before, because cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia works so quickly and works so well, if you're having any difficulties with sleep, I would suggest starting there. Um, you know, skip, skip the medication, skip other things. Um, you know, a lot of people will scour the internet trying to find that, that golden goose. Um, but what I would say is, you know, try cognitive behavioral therapy first. Um, and if that doesn't work, then you can, uh, you know, work with your sleep clinician to kind of find some other strategies. But most of the time it just works. Yeah. So when you mentioned napping for like uh, college students, for adults with normal amount of sleep, that can add additional benefits sometimes. Um, but how about makeup sleep? like during the weekends. You mentioned that a little bit earlier, just wondering for people who've been depriving them their sleeps during the weekdays, they work really hard, they're not sleeping enough. A lot of them gonna sleep a lot during the weekend. Is that really helpful? Yeah, so this is a really hard answer because in the short term, sure, it can be helpful because they feel better kind of at the end of the week. However, what usually ends up happening is that social jet lag, that's the term that we've coined, ends up happening on Monday and then you feel even worse, right? So you're sleep restricted Monday through Friday, you start sleeping in Saturday and Sunday, but then comes Monday and you actually sleep restrict yourself even more because now you're, you're waking up earlier. So what we say is probably that one of the most important things is having a consistent wake time and trying to set that and having a normal routine. And in, even for my patients that I work with, what I usually say is try to pick a wake time that you can keep to on the weekends within about an hour. So if you have to wake up for work at 6 a.m., then wake up at 7 on weekends. And I know that sounds so hard for everybody who's gotten used to sleeping in on weekends, but it's just better for your sleep that way. Um, because we know that, that when you acquire a sleep debt, there is just no way that you can make it up, especially even if you're doing your, your catch-up sleep on the weekends. Um, when, when you're sleep deprived, you're having those, those consequences that will, you know, add up as it is. Um, so what we say is if you can set a normal routine and have consistency, that's one of the best things that you're going to do for your sleep. Great. These are really good uh, suggestions. Not only tell people what to do, but also keep in mind, right? If we are not sleeping enough, 
there's nothing really can be so magically helpful for us to just catch it all up. <laughs> I know, you know, everybody's always looking for that magic bullet and there's just nothing that we can say. You know, we just, it, sleep is just that important that we just need to do it every yeah. day. <laughs> yeah, just let it happen naturally. Don't try to control it. It's not a performance. It's not that something we can just manipulate to make it perfect. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's so hard because like we said, you know, sleep really does affect a lot. It affects our, like we said, it affects our performance. It affects our mood. Um, but the difficulty is if you start worrying so much about it, it's not going to get any better. So if you just, you know, keep in mind that sleep does come naturally, it will. Um, and if it, if you're having difficulties with it, there are really good treatments that will help. Um, so hopefully that will, you know, have anybody listening, have a little bit of an easier time knowing that you can get it back under control. It can be something that can get better. Great. Yes, really. There are good treatment. There's hope. I really like that. So at the end of the show, uh, if a lot of our listeners are listening, struggling with some kind of sleep related mood um, dysregulation, any last word of wisdom you want to share? Sure. Um, so I think, you know, if you're noticing that your mood is particularly affected by sleep, um, the first thing that you're going to want to do is try to try to keep your sleep consistent. And like I said, try to start it with a consistent wake time. Um, that's probably the most important anchor. And it's the most difficult. You know, what I like to say about sleep treatment is that it's simple, but it's not easy. Um, so all of the suggestions that we've been giving today are really like they're simple to understand, right? Like make sleep consistent, invest in it. Um, but it's not easy, especially when it comes to waking up in the morning, right? Like we all have these lofty goals um, with regard to the morning, right? Like I'm going to get up and I'm going to, you know, be kind to my partner or my kids. I'm going to go for a run, all of these things. Um, but what I would say is, you know, make your morning routine something that's enjoyable so that you want to wake up and what, however you want to define enjoyable, but make it so that it's easy to get up so that you can get a consistent wake time. That is literally the single most important thing that you can do to make your sleep better and then get rid of the devices. Um, so what, what I mean by that is your phone, your laptop, keep those things out of the bedroom there's probably nothing worse than getting stuck on TikTok for two hours at one in the morning, right? Because we're not going to be able to get a good night of sleep. And we know that the light from our devices being so close to our faces is bad for our sleep. Um, so keep your cell phone, keep your, your tablet, keep your, your laptop out of the bedroom um, and try to set a wind down time, you know, that like you can start quietly getting ready for bed, turning down those lights about 30 minutes before bed and, and make sleep, like I said, like a really enjoyable thing for you. Um, you know, invest in those nice sheets, get a new pillow, um, you know, make, make sleep something that you want to do because it is that important. Um, and in, again, if you're struggling with sleep, there is definitely hope reach out to um, a clinician that is uh, well-trained in cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia um, and, and know that your sleep will get better. That's wonderful. 
Yeah, that's really good.、Uh, a lot of great suggestions. Hopefully, whoever are listening to our podcast can really find some of the、uh, method really helpful. They can really apply, and hopefully, by using all this method in their lives,、um, our listeners can all have a good night of sleep with good sleep quality. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Doctor、uh, Gulshmit, for coming to the podcast today, sharing all your expertise and your knowledge with our audience. Thank you so much for inviting me. This was so fun. Yeah. Great. So, thank you and Happy New Year. I know this when this is gonna be out. Gonna be the New Year in twenty twenty one. Absolutely. I. It can only go up from here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Keep the hope up. <laughs> okay, great. If there's one thing you take away from this conversation, what that is, please let me know. You can leave me a message. You can follow our Facebook group. Just search "Deep Into Sleep" podcast, and you can ask questions there. We can have discussions there. And recently, I'm trying out this Clubhouse app also, and I will try to record some future podcast episodes live there. So, in the near future, if you are interested in asking questions to our guest, just follow me on Clubhouse. At Ishan Xu, and then you will know when I open a room for the live broadcast. Again, our show note gonna be on deepintosleep.co. Thank you for listening. I'm your host Ishan, and I will see you next week. Are you suffering from insomnia? I promise you, the CBTI method in my course will definitely help you. Even if several nights of better sleep, that would be a world-changing experience for you. I have had so many success from my insomnia patients who have taken this course over the years. If you know someone who are struggling with sleep, go to my website and check out my course at deepintosleep.co/insomnia.